Hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast for Salisbury Pediatrics. I am Dr. M, your host. This is Volume 13, Issue Number 10, which corresponds with the week of February 20, 2023. The free thoughts this week. Find the desire to look at the past only as a learning tool. Avoid looking backward at the past as a weapon against another's behavior or your own shame. Harboring ill thoughts about the past serves no one especially not you. In this issue, we're going to talk about the cholesterol story as it relates to heart disease. We're going to look at men's work, and we're going to look at autism therapy. So this is part one of six in the cholesterol lipid hypothesis discussion. Is cholesterol the problem with regard to coronary artery disease? or just a response to the body's inflammation, autoimmune dysbiosis, or other infectious issues? Why do we need cholesterol? Is the cholesterol you eat the issue or the type that your body makes? Is it the genetic mutations related to lipoprotein receptors that clear cholesterol, or a mix of all the above? We will look at these questions and others over the course of this multi-newsletter audio cassette, a reprise from a few years ago. Coronary artery disease, or atherosclerosis, is the medical name given to the disease that leads to a heart attack, or what we call myocardial infarction. What is atherosclerosis? According to the excellent description by Dr. Peter Atia, quote, the etymology of atherosclerosis derives from athero meaning gruel-like substance and sclerosis meaning hardening. This porridge of oxidized sterols, lipids, cholesterol, macrophages, calcium, fibrin, and other cellular materials make up the lesions or plaques within the walls of the arteries. Influenced by multiple risk factors, the atherogenic process begins early in life and slowly progresses until the plaque narrows, erodes, or ruptures, causing ischemic clinical events. Example, fatal or non-fatal heart attack or stroke, end quote. When I was in medical school in the 90s, we were told that cholesterol is the root cause of heart disease and that reducing it will stop the problem. The truth of the matter is far from that simple, as I will lay out in the coming discussion. In fact, lipidology, the study of lipids and therefore atherosclerosis, is one of the most complicated topics that I've tried to understand. Simply putting an adult on cholesterol-lowering drug is a far cry from effective medical management for primary prevention of a cardiovascular event. There has to be more, and in my mind there is. I've wanted to dig even deeper into this topic than the previous iteration from a few years ago as I knew that it was incomplete and because it is an issue that's close to my heart. Wanting to know the true root cause of these issues is a primary goal as this disease pervades my family history on my father's side. It is easy to care tremendously about this issue for my little and big pediatric patients alike as the disease process begins in infancy, progresses throughout life, making early prevention paramount to long-term survival the first keys to answering this question come from what is cholesterol and the studies that discuss the function of cholesterol and lipids in the human body. So let us start there as we have to start somewhere. Cholesterol is a molecule that is a critical piece of the following vital cellular structures. Steroid hormones, all cell membranes throughout the body, bile acids, and vitamin D. It is essential and necessary for human survival. We can obtain cholesterol through our diet as a poorly absorbed cholesterol ester when we consume animal products. Cholesterol is also known naturally produced in all mammalian cells throughout the body, but primarily in the liver in response to low cholesterol levels in the bloodstream. 
This is the primary source of all cholesterol in the body, as dietary cholesterol only makes up about 25% of our cholesterol volume. Plants do not have cholesterol, therefore consuming them has no effect on levels. They have a special plant type of sterol called a phytosterol, which humans do not use. Cholesterol cannot move freely around the bloodstream. Therefore, it has to be transported in the, around the body in lipoproteins like low-density lipoprotein or LDL. I like to think of these fat proteins as cholesterol-carrying cars. These cars are going to be critical in understanding heart disease as they travel around our circulation highways with the intent of delivering the cholesterol package and or the fats needed for cell membranes, hormones, bile acids, and other functions. The lipoprotein cars are combinations of fat and protein that aggregate together to carry molecules called triglycerides and cholesterol. These lipoproteins have the major job of transporting energy as fat called triglycerides around the body to tissues. The cholesterol carrying issue is a secondary event. There are many different types of these cars and they are named by the volume of the triglyceride that is carried on board. The large lipoproteins are called chylomicrons, buses in my mind. As they lose triglycerides at different cells, they shrink and concentrate more cholesterol and become lower density lipoproteins or cars. The LDL protein cars are called the bad lipoprotein or cholesterol. Frankly, I find it hard to believe that anything in the body is inherently bad or good. In no way does it make evolutionary sense for God to put a bad thing in our body, or for those who don't believe in God, nature. The volume of any particle could convert it to an unbalanced state, which makes it unhealthy. That I believe. I think that, that is the truth. Recent dogma states that the number of these smaller cars, or specifically the subtype called LDL, or low-density de low lipoprotein, has a particle number called LDLP. And this number appears to be one of the key measurements in atherosclerotic heart disease risk. The other is apolipoprotein B level. The ApoB, or apolipoprotein B, is a signaling molecule attached to all isoforms of the LDL, making it the newest and potentially best measure of cardiac risk. In heart disease, the elevated volume of LDL particles, or ApoB, causes a concentration gradient to exist, which leads to cholesterol-containing LDL particles potentially getting into heart vessel wall, which is the genesis of a arterial narrowing event. This appears to be irrefutable based on the literature. The higher your ApoB or LDL particle number, the greater your risk of a bad outcome from a heart vessel blockage. Sorry, I'm really getting ahead of myself here. Let's go back a little. Let's try and prove whether these lipids are inherently good or bad. The hypothesis. Cholesterol and lipoproteins like LDL are inherently good and necessary unless they become unbalanced either through genetics or lifestyle choices. First off, we need to see why these lipoprotein cars and cholesterol were evolutionarily necessary aside from the energy-carrying model. I spent a large percentage of my life studying the immune system and the intestinal microbiome. Thus, it was not surprising for me to find a link to heart disease. I think that this may be the key to unraveling this story. It turns out that the carrier lipoprotein cars like LDL and HDL cholesterol are an ancient part of our innate immune system that have an important function in fighting infection. HDLs are believed to be a part of the humoral innate immune system, helping mammals to fight against invading pathogens. Indeed, thanks to the different proteins on the HDL molecules, HDLs are known to behave as antimicrobial agents protecting against different parasites and bacteria. There is a linear inverse correlation between HDL concentration in the blood and the risk of infection in humans. Humans have always used these lipoprotein cars to clear infectious material before they can do inflammatory damage. The evidence to follow will show that these studies make sense. 
Two studies were from Montecuco et al. and Trinder et al., 2019 and 2015 for Montecuco. Again, all the links can be found in the newsletter. The first study was done in 1988 by Dr. C. Irabarin from Kaiser Permanente and was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Infection. They found that there was an inverse relationship between the total cholesterol levels and in infections that required hospitalization or were acquired in hospital. In other words, if your cholesterol level gets too low, see current American Cardiology of College of Cardiology guidelines, you could suffer more disease of the infectious type. In 2007, Dr. Shore and colleagues looked at LDL cholesterol levels less than 70 milligrams per deciliter in disease risk and found that these low levels were associated with increased risks of hematologic cancer, fever, and sepsis. Shore et al. 27. In 2019, Dr. Feng and colleagues looked at this picture even further. When they analyzed over 7,000 patients, they found that lower LDL-C cholesterol levels were significantly associated with increased risk of sepsis and admission to the ICU in patients admitted for infection. They blamed it on the comorbidities of the illness. However, other studies in animal models would disagree with this conclusion. So for me, the hypothesis, it is possible that driving the lipid level too low will put a subset of patients at risk for negative outcomes from infectious events. Before we look further at the innate immune model, what about the fact that total LDLC may or may not be the major risk factor? A lot to be still studied here. Quote, it is true that High total cholesterol is a risk factor for coronary artery disease, but mainly in young and middle-aged men. If high total C or LDLC were the most important cause of cardiovascular disease, it should be a risk factor in both sexes, in all populations and all age groups. But in men and populations, including women, Canadians, and Russian men, Maoris, patients with diabetes, and patients with nephrotic syndrome, the association with total cholesterol mortality is absent or actually inverse, or increasing total cholesterol associated with low coronary total morbidity. End quote. Romanovsk. Ravnovsk, 2003, R-A-V-N-S-K-O-V. Let us say for argument's sake that the above is true. What percent of heart attack victims have abnormal cholesterol levels according to the American College of Cardiology at the time of diagnosis? The answer is, shockingly, between 25 and 50% only. Quote, in a population, a lower LDL is on average associated with a lower risk of heart attack. But about half of all heart attacks occur people with normal cholesterol levels. An individual person may have a whole range of other conditions that cause, could cause risk. Some of the best-known ones include smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, and lack of physical activity. Other potential contributors including secondhand smoke and air pollution. In addition, there are likely genetic and lifestyle factors that we don't fully understand. End quote. BAT, B-H-A-T-T-D, 2015. The common link to all these risk factors is one word, inflammation. This is in no way to say that lipids neither matter nor are not partially causal, because they are. That is not the whole story. And if it is true, why the need to drive down cholesterol so far at all with pharmacologics? This is based on studies that show improved outcomes in a select group of patients that have had previous heart attack and other risk factors, including inflammation. Interesting. This may and likely is correct for the subset of people that are involved. I think that I am in this category. Strong, very strong family history of early heart disease and other biomarkers like lipoprotein little a, an independent risk factor for cardiac mortality and advancing age. More on that later. So far, we have established that a large percentage of humans who have cardiac events have normal lipid cholesterol levels at the time of the first event, and that lipoprotein levels may have a significant effect beneficially for infection prevention. This simply means that we are still missing a large part of the risk story but this does not mean that lowering the ApoB particle level in a risk 
situation for patients is without merit because it clearly is based on data. So I think we need to go back and see why these particles existed in the first place. And we will do that next week. Section two, men's work. Do you ever ask yourself why some incredible women prefer the mysterious or somewhat bad guy over the put together nice guy? Well, this week's conversation between Trevor Bohm and Connor Beaton goes deep into the psyche and choices of men and women that lead in connection and relationship. I found this conversation super stimulating as to why and how men can and need to look at how they show up energetically, leading to attraction and safety for their partner or partner-to-be. Are they strong but safe to their partner, children, coworkers, etc.? Are they toxic when frustrated? Do they go mostly sideways randomly, leading to inconsistency in relationship? I think of this in the context of the teenage boy slash man in the making who is struggling with anger and the feelings of inadequacy because of limited positive encouragement from his father who no longer lives with him and his mother. He's trying hard and would just love for his father to accept him and love him as he is, a trying being. He lives with his mother who is scared of him because he cannot regulate his emotions when triggered. He yells and gets verbally aggressive with her. This is an all too common scenario in my office. In any relationship, this is toxic. It is male energy in its worst form, projected and unsafe. A YouTube video talks a bit about the relationship understanding from a male perspective in the context of being masculine and having strong masculine energy without allowing what I call the dark side of this energy to affect a relationship. This kind of education is so important for all teenage boys and men at all ages. Share this with anyone that you think could learn from it. Primary relationships depend on safety and reliability for continuity and depth. Link to the men's work video can be found in the newsletter. Section 3. Some people may have seen the new press regarding autism. In a new study from Nature Molecular Psychiatry, we have some more data looking at the use of lamotrigine in anticonvulsant medicine in the treatment of autism spectrum disorder. This could be exciting new news. Keyword, could. Moritz Small, a lead scientist, noted that MYT1L protein is associated with ASD-type neuronal symptoms. MYT1L protein is a transcription factor that helps determine which genes in a cell are turned on or off. The protein helps cell maintain differentiated pathway to become a nerve cell. Several neurologic diseases such as schizophrenia and epilepsy as well as brain malformations have been linked to MYT1L mutations. His group genetically silenced the MYT1L genes in mice and human stem cells in a lab. The net effect was electrical hyperactivation leading to poor neuronal function. The gene altered mice exhibit neurodevelopmental delays with thinner brain cortical volume. Behavioral symptoms and gene expression changes that resemble those of autism spectrum disorder patients. The etiology was due to an upregulation of sodium channels leading to aberrant electrical conduction. This effect was blunted by the antagonist drug lamotrigine. The important piece of the study was clinical fact that the ASD symptoms were beneficially affected by the drug. This bears some double-blind placebo study to prove causation and disease amelioration, but it's an exciting mechanistic data set. When I searched for current studies clinically, I could only find one to date with Lamotrigine. The findings were not beneficial in a 28-child study published in 2001. A meta-analysis of seven studies with three different anticonvulsants, so no benefit either. So, mechanisms are interesting, but we need data to finally prove that the mechanism or the correlation could be truly causation. So, we keep searching. But, again, these are genes that are going to be really interesting to follow over time and how they could play out. 
in the newsletter you can read, which I'm not going to audio cast today, but you can read the three different articles, Nature Molecular Psychiatry, and then two from the Journal of Autism Developmental Disorders by Belsido and Harota. All righty, that's all for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, hug those kids. The song of the week is Buckethead. The name is Soothsayer. Get on it. It's interesting. Really good stuff. Have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this audiocast newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a fabulous day.